You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hi, it's Tristan here with uh, at the EAA 2019. We're kind of sitting here in the Uni S building that's over the road from the Hauptgebäude, and uh, it's just gone past lunch. We're chilling out and taking a little time between the sessions to talk um, about rock art today. So I'm sitting here with is it Doctor Chester? All right, so I'm Chester Levosh. I work for the Mesoprieta Petroglyph Project in northern New Mexico. Uh, I'm the project archaeologist there. So, um, petroglyphs, rock art, there's lots of different names for it. How would you broadly describe it to someone who's never, ever seen it before or heard of it before? So, there's two basic types of rock art. Uh, there's petroglyphs, which are carved images, and then there's pictographs, which are painted images. And then you get a lot of images that have a, they're both a pictograph and a petroglyph. Uh, and what's the kind of preservation that goes on with this? Because obviously a stone can be worn away, it depends on the type of stone and stuff. What condition do we usually find these uh, petrographs, which are the ones that are carved? So, you know, often exposed to the weather, uh, there, there's not much extra preservation that needs to be done. It takes minimally centuries, sometimes millennia, uh, for them to start developing uh, or redeveloping a patina once the patina on the outside of the stone has been busted through. Um, pictographs are a little bit more sensitive because uh, they tend to... Um, tend to melt and drip and so those are often mostly only preserved in uh, in areas with overhangs or some kind of uh, protection um, one of the steps we can take um, even if say with pictographs if we can't intervene and stop that weathering process is to uh, use software to recover some of the design that's still still latent if not visible to the naked eye but then you know all of these are also susceptible to um, erosion of a different count kind so for examples that might be on on boulders the landscape um, underneath them could erode out and uh, we've had examples of boulders just falling off the slope entirely into the road it's pretty amazing um, could you kind of like give an overview of the kind of shapes and things that we can expect to see on these rock arts um, so there's I'm seeing in front of me human figures uh, I think there's animals I mean what I mean obviously Every drawing is unique, I guess, but there must be, you have a way of categorizing stuff, right? Certainly. Um, in, the, in the broadest sense, we tend to distinguish between um, abstract geometric forms. Um, often the, the more complex ones fall into uh, what uh, David Lewis Williams called entoptic images, images which seem to be derived from within the human nervous system. And this contrasts with what has formerly been called representational images, what we're now trying to move towards uh, calling figurative images, things that look like recognizable things. This doesn't mean that they necessarily represent the thing that they look like, but that the, there's a familiar form to them. Um, then regionally, of course, we have um, we have different style classifications that, as I said, vary regionally, and 
these tend to be conventions that are that are established, you know, either in the scholarly literature or by uh, avocational recorders, basically whoever gets the most data first. And uh, one of the complications is when you run into uh, to bordering regions that these classification systems that break things down into um, uh, details of what kind of motif this is, um, sometimes they fall short on some of the variations that you find within that, or the, cla- uh, or the, the rock art in neighboring regions might be fairly similar, but simply by convention of recording, the classification systems are really different. I'm just wondering then, um, obviously that is an issue that kind of has to be then mediated out. What, uh, what kind of time, how old are some of these drawings? Like, what's the oldest, what's the youngest? <laughs> well, so um, I've got an example here of uh, Rio Grande classic, uh, uh, the Rio Grande style from what we call the uh, Puebloan classic period. Uh, some folks might also recognize this as Pueblo Four. Uh, so these would be after 1350 AD, um, fairly recent in uh, petroglyph standards, versus if we were to look at something like um, like the Coso Range, then the, uh, the numerous images there are mostly believed to um, date to more than 2200 years ago. And uh, some of the earliest stuff in in that region, such as uh, an example dated um, by examining that uh, uh, that patina that's developed on the surface, called a desert varnish, uh, in Death Valley, at least one element has dated to more than fourteen thousand years old. So they may go back to, at least in North America, uh, some of the earliest peopling of the Americas. And obviously, with that sense of deep time, um, it means that dealing with this obviously means that you are dealing with um, indigenous peoples, indigenous communities. How how is that kind of like? How does that kind of work? You know, on a kind of level, is there? You know, how do you consult and how do you work with uh, indigenous communities? Uh, good question. If anyone has some answers to that, I'd like to know. <laughs> Um, a lot it's of it, not a cause of tension, is it, do you think? <laughs> it has been. Um, and so uh, with some groups, we have to be patient and, and establish a relationship, in part because um, some of the archaeology, including um, around the rock art, um, in the Great Basin has been used to... Um, Disconnect indigenous peoples from their um, from their cultural heritage and, uh, with with real political consequences. Um, tribes have lost land claims because of archaeologists not getting the connections between the anthropological record and what they're seeing in the rock art, or sometimes not understanding the metaphorical ways in which tribes uh, will. Uh, will describe these things. So there, there's been a lot of distrust built up over over the last few generations, but I think most of the folks in the, uh, uh, the, the current and up-and-coming generation of archaeologists were um, uh, much more 
um, we're much more oriented towards uh, that community engagement to begin with. And so we're, um, we're, we're trying to rebuild those bridges. Um, in other areas, um, the history hasn't been quite so contentious. So if we were to look at, um, say, the, the Pueblo in Southwest, there's never been any doubt that, you know, at, at least a certain style of image there uh, was created by ancestors of, of Puebloan peoples living there today. And so in those cases, um, groups might be more open to discussing things. Now, of course, this is also all assuming that there is um, still a cultural memory of these things, which the, uh, the sorts of uh, processes of contact and colonization have often eradicated a lot of the cultural memory in the last, you know, two to three hundred years. I mean, it's obviously a difficult thing that most archaeologists who work in America have to deal with. It's, um, it's definitely something that we hope can actually be developed on and grown and something that gets better um do you guys do any uh, do a lot of um outreach is there any way is there something that people can follow online anything like that about this <laughs> uh personally not really i think a lot of it develops on a case-by-case basis um so there, there's a lot of um a lot of face-to-face introductions, if, if you can manage that. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, often, say if you're, you're working for a state or federal government agency or working through those, then uh, there's a legal, legal requirement to go uh, to consult government to government, which requires a federal employee to set up a meeting with a tribal government official. And this process can, you know, sometimes take years just to uh, get that first meeting. Um, but yeah, the, the process is very uh, highly variable. Um, and it also tends to begin with um, sorts of introductions and um, and meeting faces and and, and just um, trying to build mutual trust. That's great. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.